Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading uh, and our first Advent uh, reading of the season comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have a physical Bible or your phone, you can f- follow along there as well. Hear now God's word. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the, until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After, his, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Key. Good morning. Good to see all of you today. I uh, hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoyed your turkey. Uh, or if you had your own tradition, hope you enjoyed that as well. Uh, hopefully it was a wonderful time with family and friends. Uh, hopefully you navigated well if there were any obnoxious relatives. Uh, truly, uh, it's December already. Can you believe it? Uh, I think it's because like Thanksgiving is as late as possible as, as it can be uh, this year. And then three days after Thanksgiving is December. Uh, so we've entered the final stretch of 2019, uh, which means we're surrounded by a lot of reminders that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, there's red and green and reindeer. Uh, my wife and I went uh, Black Friday shopping at the mall. You see all the white and gold Christmas lights, a very festive mood. Uh, we'll start hearing Christmas songs everywhere. Everyone knows the best Christmas song is Silver Bells, followed by uh, All I Want for Christmas, Mariah Carey. Classic. 
Uh, but today is actually the first day of another tradition. Uh, it's the Advent season. Advent is an old tradition in which we take time to reflect on the real reason for the season. Of course, that being Jesus Christ. Uh, Christmas is about the advent or the arrival of Jesus. God becoming man, the word becoming flesh for us. So in Advent, we celebrate Jesus' first coming. Jesus being born in a manger for us. Jesus born with the mission of reconciling all of humanity to God. Uh, we also anticipate Jesus' second coming when Jesus will return and take his rightful place as king. So Advent is about celebrating and anticipating. It's about looking back and also looking forward. So to help us stay focused in this Advent season for the next four weeks, uh, Pastor Key and I will be exploring four stories in the first couple chapters of the book of Luke. Uh, by the way, if you are interested in reading the Bible and you haven't been reading the Bible, today is December 1st, and Luke is 24 chapters, so you can read a chapter a day from now until Christmas, right? So it'll be like perfect. Uh, you can learn about the life of Jesus. But we'll be exploring through uh, four stories in the book of Luke, basically two prophecies and two fulfillments of those prophecies. Or another way of looking at it is two stories about the parents of John the Baptist and Jesus, and then, of course, the births and the advents of John the Baptist and Jesus. And in our lives today, we're actually in a very similar place to where the Israelites were, where the Jewish people were uh, during this time uh, that Luke talks about. Uh, Israel was looking back. They were talking about all the things that God had done. They were talking about all the great stories that we know in the Old Testament, how God uh, brought the Israelites out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, and into the promised land, how God used godly leaders such as Abraham and Moses and David. And they would be doing so to encourage each other because they were still looking forward. They were still waiting. Uh, we know that there's tons of prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And all the Jewish people are waiting, uh, wondering. Uh, there's a 400-year stretch between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So they're waiting in these 400 years. You know, where's the Messiah? When's he going to come? They're, they're also uh, wondering because they're, you know, they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. So they're, they're, they're looking for some kind of release, some kind of freedom. But not only was there no birth of Jesus yet, there was also no prophets and no prophecies. So it was 400 years of silence. And it was a time when godlessness was increasing. We even get a sense of that here in the first words of our passage. Verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Herod was a most uh, wicked king. He constantly oppressed and persecuted the Jewish people. Uh, calling him cruel would be a great understatement. So these people were anxiously waiting for breakthrough while they were navigating the brokenness, the increasing corruption of that time. They were ever waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. They were ever waiting for just something to turn their way. And many of us are in the same boat. We're looking back. We're reflecting on this past year, maybe even reflecting on our lives up to this point. But we're also waiting. We all have unfulfilled desires, unanswered prayers. And like the Jews in our passage today, we're wondering when God will show up. We're wondering when God will come through. In our, in our waiting, we try to navigate different emotions. Uh, some of us, you know, or all of us, we go through these stages. One hand, we, we try not to get our hopes up. 
you know, waiting causes weariness, so we try to distract ourselves. We try to set our mind on other things. Uh, on the other hand, we want to get our hopes up. We want to believe, you know, any unfulfilled desires or any unanswered prayers, like there must be a reason, and I have to, like, figure out the reason. So in the process, we may blame ourselves as a reason it's not happening. Uh, we may blame circumstances. We may blame other people. Or we may actually blame God as well. In our story today, we meet a couple that was in a very similar situation. We meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. Our passage tells us in verse 5 about Zechariah. So Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest, the book of Exodus. So she's the daughter of a priest. So you've got a priest married to a daughter of a priest. That's, that's as good as it gets, right? That's like holy lineage. So we learn about their background. But we also learn about how they live in verse 6. It says they were righteous. They observed all of God's commands. They lived blamelessly. This is not like praise. If you and I said that about someone, we would be speaking quite highly of that person. Right? Do you know someone that you would say that about? Uh, and remember, it's a godless age. A lot of people have strayed away from God. People are becoming increasingly corrupt. But this couple, they stick out. They, they shine. Because they continue to obey. They continue to live in the fear of the Lord. They continue to obey all of God's commands. You would think that this couple would always get their prayers answered. You would think that this couple would, you know, God would always provide for all their needs. They have the perfect combination of a holy background with holy living. Surely God will care for them and make sure that there is no lack in their lives. And I think verse 7, it trips us up. Verse 7 messes with our theology. It messes with the, with the way we think God should work. It says that they were both, that, that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And also they were both very old. We read this and we're like, God, why would you do this? This couple, they're the paragon. They're the best example. Imagine if we had a couple like this at our church. Like, wow, this couple loves Jesus. They serve people left and right. They're really caring and hospitable. They live radical lives of commitment to God. And yet, they don't have what they desire to have. And yet, it seems like God is not blessing them. Rather, it seems like God is holding out on them. That would mess with our thinking. That would mess with our theology. See, I think most of us would say, you know, I don't subscribe to the prosperity gospel. I'm not looking to God for health and wealth. I don't believe that God prospering me financially and materially is proof that I'm living in a way that pleases God. Uh, so on one hand, we, don't, we say we don't believe that. You know, we don't look at rich people and think, wow, they must be really living in a way that pleases God. They must be holy. Uh, but I believe many of us do this. We serve God. We seek to please God. We're like, God, I'm trying to live a godly life. I'm trying to honor you and live for you. But then bad things happen to me. Like, why, God? I do, I do a lot for you, God, and yet I'm still waiting for blessing. I don't get why you don't give me what I want. Uh, some of you, it could be that you're single and you want to, you know, find somebody, you want to get married, so you're longing for a companionship. Uh, some of you who are married, you, you, you want to have a child, right, and yet it doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, some of you, you're waiting for a breakthrough in your career. Maybe you've been laid off. Uh, you didn't get into school. You're having trouble finding a job. Uh, you're looking to advance in your career, but it seems to be getting stalled. 
Uh, some of you are looking for a job in which you can make a difference and therefore feel more fulfilled. Some of you, it's, it's physical healing, right? We've been asking God to heal our sickness. Uh, it could be the healing of somebody you love, and it pains you to see them deal with disease. Perhaps you're praying for somebody to know Christ, and you've been praying and you've been praying, and there's been no change. Uh, some of you, you want to get more plugged in, and you feel left out, so you're hoping for some kind of breakthrough in community. Or it could just be you're in a funk. Spiritually, you're in a rut. You're like, God, when will I experience true joy again? When will I experience true, sustained joy? Uh, we're waiting. We're, we're longing. Uh, we're wondering. We think, God, I'm doing a good job. I'm coming to church. I'm serving you. I'm seeking to grow spiritually. And yet, you deny me. And yet, you don't answer my prayers. It's actually even worse for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In that time and culture, it was all about children. The more children you had, the more blessed you were considered. And it meant God showed you favor, but it also meant the opposite if you did not have children. Everyone would know that Zechariah and Elizabeth is this priestly couple that does not have children. People would automatically judge them. People would be whispering and gossiping. Hey, do you think they have secret sins? They must, they must be doing something wrong. I see them priesting. I see them serving. But God must have something against them. People would be silently judging them. Because if you didn't conceive, you couldn't have children, it didn't just mean that you weren't blessed. It actually meant that you were cursed. It meant that you were forsaken by God. Some of us may be going through that as well. Uh, your parents are like, what's wrong with you? you know, how come you can't get married? How come you can't have a child? How come, you can't, how come you're stuck in your career? Or you know that people are talking about you. you know, some people, there's like sympathy on the outside, but there's judgment on the inside. And this is what Zechariah and Elizabeth endured daily. And I love how Scripture emphasizes, oh yeah, they were both very old. So that means they had been seeking to conceive. They had been praying to have a baby. So many, many years of disgrace, many, many years of trying and hoping and becoming disappointed again. Uh, many years of judgment, many years of wondering, where is God? Why is he not answering? They see other people having babies. They see other people getting answered prayers and, and seem to be doing well and blessed by God. The only thing that seems to be advancing for Zechariah and Elizabeth is their age. Time seems to be running out. Hope is slowly but surely dwindling. So this is a tender place. This is a painful place. This is a place where we wonder, God, what's going on? See, we do at some level expect God to bless us because we have served him. We do expect God to say yes right away to our prayers because we follow him. We do have a personal prosperity gospel and some of us do hold bitterness against God because we secretly pile up all the good we've done, all the godly things we've done, all the ways we've served. We hold it in our hearts and we kind of ask God, like, God, do you see this? And yet, why are you blessing that person instead? Right? Why are you answering that, prayer, that person's prayer instead? I have a good friend who once gave a testimony at church about not being able to get pregnant. And she just shared like, how difficult it was because everyone around her seemed to be getting pregnant quite easily. And it wasn't just her friends, it was like celebrities. Uh, my favorite line of her testimony was, God, 
Snooky? Like, really? She's pregnant too? What about me? And we do that, right? We compare. We look at other people's lives. We look at our lives of service to God. And we're like, God, why are you holding out on me while the godless seem to thrive? And that's why we need the two lessons that we'll see in this story. Two lessons that will help us become better waiters. First lesson we learn is indeed Zachariah and Elizabeth were faithful. Again, verse 6, they continued to observe all of God's commands. All of them. They didn't say, okay, God, you're not coming through for me. You're not helping me in this area. So I'm going to need to disobey a little bit. I'm going to need to cut corners because you have not provided. You know, it's tempting to say I'll indulge in a little, you know, sexual morality, a little pornography or, or romance novels and dramas or fantasies because, God, you haven't provided someone for me. I'll cheat a little on my taxes or in my finances because, God, you haven't provided for me in terms of money. I'll enjoy my pet sins a little more because I'm in a funk. You know, I'll be more irritable and difficult and judgmental because God has not blessed me the way I want. Uh, but let's be like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Let's seek to obey all of God's commands. Even when it seems like God is not coming through, even when our faith is injured, we look to the Lord and we say, God, I don't get it. I'm confused, but I will continue to obey you. I will continue to seek to be faithful. I will present my obedience as sacrifice to you, still believing, still having faith that you are good, still knowing that you are worthy of whatever I offer to you. People are judging me, but God, you see me. I know you do, so I will wait well by following you, by being faithful. Later in our story, we hear that Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers have been heard. They've been answered, which also means that they were faithful in prayer. They kept praying. They kept asking God. In this uh, prophecy that the angel gives, uh, two prayers are actually answered. Their prayer of having a son, but they also pray for revival in the land. And it turns out that their son, John the Baptist, will be instrumental in answering that second prayer and bringing revival to the land. So that means they were faithful in praying for themselves, their own needs, wanting to have a child, but also in intercession for others, for the land. So despite their continued disgrace, they continued to ask God. God is so honored when you and I are wounded, when you and I are even offended, uh, when our faith is weak, and yet we keep praying. We keep asking. First, we exercise our authority by praying for the land. You know, as Christians, we should pray for America. We should pray for Palisades Park. We should pray for New Jersey. We should pray for our church, faithfully sowing prayers, uh, not knowing exactly how God will answer those prayers. I don't think Zachariah and Elizabeth thought that their son would actually be instrumental in answering that prayer for revival in the land. Uh, but we pray. We sow prayers of faith for our land, for our people. But I think for many of us, that's actually the easy part. Some of us, like, it's easier to pray for others. It's easier to pray for revival. You get more pumped up to pray for others because that's easier to believe that God will answer prayers for other people. It's, either, it's easier to pray for someone else's healing than your own. It's easier to pray for someone else's breakthrough than your own because there's a cost of more personal disappointment when you pray for your own needs. But this story implores us 
keep asking God for your own needs. God loves when we come before him and we present the tender parts of our heart. We present the parts that do feel forsaken. And yet we come before God and we continue to ask. We even beg, we cry out for prayers of provision, prayers of personal breakthrough. I imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth, this couple praying together, this mutually tender place, tenderized over decades, just crying out to God for a child, crying out to God with all that pain, all that disgrace. And yet, they never stopped. They kept praying. They kept asking. As we wait for the Lord to answer us, let's keep praying. Let's keep asking. Let's believe that God is a good father who cares deeply for his children, who delights in his children coming before him and asking over and over again. In verse 8, we begin to see the result of their prayers. So verse 8, the word once, a better translation is, it just so happened. It's hinting at something out of the ordinary, uh, something unexpected. It just so happened that there was this one temple in Jerusalem. And in this temple, incense burned 24-7. The incense represented the prayers of the people uh, offering their prayers to God. So each day a different priest was selected. And on that day, his job was to go into the temple, to stand at the altar once in the morning and once in the afternoon at the altar. So the altar is right before the Holy of Holies. If you remember, the Holy of Holies was that place a priest could only go in once a year. Right? And even that was like risky because God's glory was there and God's glory could kill them. So uh, they would come to this altar right before the Holy of Holies uh, twice on that day. But back then there were 20,000 priests. So they would cast lots to see who would get chosen on that day. It was a, it was a once-in-a-lifetime assignment. So the odds of being chosen on a specific day to do this task, you can do the math, right? It's like 1 in 20,000. Okay, very poor odds. But when you did get selected, it's like the highlight of your career. It's like the best day of your priest's life. So it just so happened that Zechariah was chosen by Lot on this day. It was his day to perform what every priest hoped to do at least once in their lives. So he must have been psyched, right? He's going to enter the temple. Right? He's going he's gonna to go. He's going to do this you know, priestly duty. He's like, finally, I have this moment. At least this desire is being fulfilled. Thank you, God, that I get to do this. You know, maybe my fortunes are finally turning. But then what happens, right? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord shows up. So Zechariah is like pumped up, ready to go. He goes in, and just to the right of the altar, there's an angel. And he's like, he's gripped with fear. He's, he's shocked. He's flummoxed. And the angel gives this wonderful proclamation. He says to Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. God has been hearing your prayers, Zechariah. All these years were not in vain. Every time you asked, God heard you. And your wife Elizabeth will have a son. And you will call him John. And he will bring great joy. He'll even bring great joy to all the people. And John will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. That's how much anointing is going to be on this man's life. He will bring revival to the land. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children. 
He will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. He will make ready a people for the Lord. Because of Zechariah and Elizabeth's faithfulness, because of their continued perseverance in prayer, God answers them. God gives them this amazing gift, an anointed son, a son who will usher in revival. This story helps us better understand why God puts us through trials, why God allows us to doubt his goodness and wonder why he's withholding. All right, let's consider that because Zechariah and Elizabeth had been asking for so long, uh, number one, they will not take this blessing for granted. They know that many years, the toll, the labor that went into this prayer, into this desire, God will withhold from us sometimes so that we mature in the meantime. And then when we receive the answer, we're actually ready to receive what we have prayed for. Uh, number two, they will treasure God even more. God will put us through waiting so that when there is fulfillment, now they treasure both the gift and the giver that much more. So they see even more clearly, we see even more clearly how God answers our prayers. And number three, they will have a great testimony. Luke even hinted this in verse 7. It says they were both very old. People from that time would be reading this and they would immediately think of another old couple from the book of Genesis. That's, of course, Abraham and Sarah, also very old and barren. And for them, God provides a son. And just like people to this day now all know the story of Abraham and Sarah, how God provided a son for them. People to this day now know the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, how they asked for many years and then God finally provided for them. So God is doing a deep work in our lives as we wait, as we keep being faithful, as we persevere in prayer. God is developing your story. God is developing your testimony. So just like he revealed his glory in providing a child for this old couple, God will reveal his glory in our lives as we continue to pray and when he answers our prayers. There is a word of caution. So on this uh, on one hand, Zechariah was a great waiter. He was faithful. He was blameless. He obeyed all of God's commands. Uh, but then we see, based on how Zechariah responds to this angel, there was a way in which he was not waiting well. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord proclaims an amazing promise. It's like the most perfect promise. It's intimate. God has heard your prayers. God knows you, Zechariah. God will give you great joy. It's, you know, amazing. the son is going to be amazing, right? He's going to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy. He's going to be the messenger, the one that comes before the Messiah. And you would think after hearing all of that, Zachariah would like fall to his knees in prayer. He would like fall to his knees in adoration. He would cry praise and thanksgiving to God. Or perhaps he'd be more sober. He'd be like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. You know, I better get ready. My son's going to be a big deal. I better like raise him well, you know, prepare him well. And yet we see his response, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The tone is actually stronger than you think. I'm going to read the message translation for you. He says this, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. So that translation better captures his reaction. He reacts very cynically. Instead of responding in thanksgiving or worship, he's like, seriously? Nah. Like, I don't think so. Zachariah's like, um, 
Do you know how old I am? Do you know how old my wife is? That's not something a husband should ever say, right? Like, can you sense the lack of trust that he has in God? This, this bitterness in response to the angel. What we see here is that on one hand, you can be faithful. On one hand, you can be obeying God's commands. You can be praying and asking regularly, and like Zechariah did. And yet, we can still grow cynical. And yet, we can still grow bitter. Your actions on the outside may make you seem hopeful, but on the inside, you're actually losing some hope, losing some trust in God. Zachariah's reaction challenges you and me. It challenges us to evaluate our prayer lives. The things that we pray for, are we praying in faith? Do we really believe God will answer our prayers? Or are we offering up prayers, but actually doing so with a heart that silently holds grudges against God? Praying, but not really believing God will answer. Praying, because that's what we're supposed to do. Zechariah grew jaded. He was faithful, and yet he became bitter. In this sense, he was a poor waiter. So even when his prayer is answered beyond his wildest dreams, a most intimate and comprehensive answer, he responds with unbelief. My brothers and sisters, let's examine our hearts. Are there weeds of bitterness? Are there roots of cynicism within our hearts? Do we doubt the goodness of God? We don't want to be people that when God answers our prayers, we're like, oh, I actually didn't expect that to happen. Right? Like, God, are you sure? I don't believe you. We don't want to be people that are found to have more unbelief than faith. So even though many of us are waiting, even though many of us have unanswered prayers, unfulfilled desires, During this Advent period, for this month of December, let's settle in our hearts that God is good. Let's settle in our hearts that God cares for us, that God is working for our good. The next time we pray for that need, the next time we pray for that provision, let's examine if we're praying in faith. Let's examine, am I praying with eyes on my Heavenly Father, seeing how much He loves me, having that childlike heart, believing that He will provide and answer my prayers. At some point, Zechariah had fallen into a state of unbelief. Who knows when that happened? It could have happened, he could have been praying faithfully for many, many years, even decades. And then it slowly began falling into unbelief. And therefore, he's not ready when God answers his prayer. Church, let's get ready. Let's become people who pray with full confidence that God will answer our prayers, that God hears us, and that in one day, he will indeed answer us. Because of Zechariah's unbelief, he is punished. He receives judgment, verses 19 and 20. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. So first of all, the angel's like, I'm not just any angel, right? I'm Gabriel. I'm the archangel. And I came here to give you good news. But now you will be silent. Now you will not be able to speak until this child is born because you did not believe. The angel is telling Zechariah, this was your day. This was like, your special day, you were chosen to go into the temple, the highlight of your career, to go and burn incense, and then to learn that your prayers have been heard. This was an appointed moment for you, but because of your unbelief, here's your punishment. You will not be able to speak for a long time. I think we all know people that would benefit from this kind of punishment. Yeah? Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine if someone in your life 
uh, in-law, someone you work with, uh, cannot speak for at least nine months, our lives would quickly improve. <laughs> but, but let's think about it for ourselves. Uh, when I was with, with the prayer group in Colorado Springs, uh, we, all, you know, we all lived together, uh, spent time together uh, for two months. And people would do silent fasts. For 24 hours, they would not speak. They would write on, your, on their hand, I'm on a silent fast. Like, I can't speak. And they would use that time to really focus in prayer. They would use that time to bring all their thoughts before God, really reflect on their relationship with God. When you think about it, when we're silent, God is the only one we can converse with. Only God can hear our innermost thoughts. Only God really knows what's on our hearts. So this is a form of judgment for Zechariah's unbelief and well-deserved. We're reminded that God's judgments are structured to bring us closer to him. God continually judged the Israelites in the Old Testament. Why? Because eventually they would turn back to him. Zechariah gets to spend the next nine plus months drawing closer to the Lord. He can truly focus in conversation with God. We see the end result of this later on in Luke, verse 64 and 67. It says, when, he, when Zechariah can finally speak after John the Baptist is born, it says, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And then verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So after this prolonged time of silence, when he's finally able to speak, what comes out of his heart immediately? Out of his heart immediately comes forth praise. Out of his heart immediately comes forth prophecy. So there's a deep work that took place in Zechariah's heart during this time of silence. God wants us to do the same, to spend time in silence, to spend time alone with God, to spend time thinking about who he is in our lives, reflecting on what he's done for us. In silence, we draw closer to God. In silence, we see God better. In silence, we come to know how much God cares for us, how much God is near to us. So during this Advent season, I exhort all of us to take time out. It's a busy season, the holiday season, uh, buying gifts, uh, extra commitments, all the parties. Uh, do come to our Christmas party, Saturday, December 14th. Uh, but of all the loose ends you need to tie up before the end of this year, make this a loose end. Make this loose end a priority. Spend time alone with God. Schedule it. And let's examine if we're living holy lives. Let's examine if we're seeking to obey all of God's commands. Let's examine if we're continuing to pray in faith for the things that we're waiting for. Let's examine if we're asking with hope an expectation, like a child would ask his or her father. Let's ask God to show us the percentages of faith and unbelief in our hearts. Let's ask God to empower us so that we can push out that unbelief, so that we are in a place of grounded faith, of grounded hope, knowing that God has not forsaken us. Let's ask God to make us good waiters, to make us people who wait well. Our passage ends with a beautiful statement by Elizabeth, the woman who bore such disgrace, the woman who had to deal with not being able to have a child and all the judgment, all the gossip that she endured for many, many years, crying out in agony and turmoil before God over and over again. 
And she says in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor. He has taken away my disgrace among the people. No longer will Elizabeth be known as the forsaken one. No longer will Elizabeth be talked about as if she was cursed. Now it's the complete opposite. She will be known as a recipient of God's favor. She will be known as someone who God has richly blessed. She will testify of what the Lord has done for her. And that's our story. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of Jesus being born in the manger, Jesus humbling himself to become man for us. That's the story we all need. And that's the story we're all waiting for. We all have our individual desires and our prayers, but ultimately we are all longing for a day, a day when everything will be made right, a day where there will be no more pain and suffering, no more tears and regrets. I reminded you that in Zechariah's time, again, he would come, you know, he came into that temple before the altar, but he could not enter the Holy of Holies. That was the one place that was off limits. But we know that when Jesus was born, and Jesus died on the cross. That curtain, that division was torn down. And now we all have free access. We have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. So now we can enter in the most holy place. We can enter in freely, nothing standing in the way between us and God. And one day we will forever be with the Lord. We will be made completely whole. We will have everything that we've been longing for. And that's the story of Advent. We look back at Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We look back at all that he's done for us in that first coming. And we look forward to that day as we continue to seek to obey God, as we continue continue to ask, as we continue to wait, as we continue to grow in faith. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day God will fully rescue us, that Jesus will return again and he will make all things new. Jesus will show us unlimited favor. He will take away all of our disgrace. So as we wait in this present day, as we continue to lift up the desires of our hearts, let's remember that not only are we waiting for something even better, not only are we waiting for that day where everything will be made perfect, one day we shall have it because of all that Christ has done for us. Let's pray together.